Hey everybody, and welcome to part two of episode 25 of Superman and Batman, a show featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and I want to thank you very much for listening. As I said, this is part two of episode 25, so if you haven't heard part one, you probably want to listen to that before proceeding here, because we're about to jump right back into my conversation with Bob Fisher host of Superman Forever Radio, about World's Finest Comics number 142, which is the first appearance of the composite Superman. When Bob and I got together, our discussion was a little longer than the average length of an episode on the show here, so rather than trim out a lot of good conversation, I decided to split it into two parts. Two episodes for the price of one. And lucky for you, that price is still absolutely free. So without further delay, here it is, the second half of my conversation with the Mighty Bob Fisher, right here on Superman and Batman. My next note is on page 11. Uh, which one is 11? I think I went by the book and when oh, it, okay. when Will part it two changed over to page one, I went back to page one, part two. Maybe page two then. Okay, page of, two. Page two of part two, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got uh, pretty much nothing on the first one either. First page of that, the splash is not much there. And yes, okay, go with your next one. So yours is page two of part two. Yes, Uh, and that's just to say that earlier I referenced Action Comics 241, and isn't this what Batman did in that story? He stood in for himself, uh, or stood in for a statue of himself in the fortress? Yes, did exactly the same thing. Yes. And I always wonder, you know, I don't think Ed Hamilton wrote that other one. No. But did he know about it, or did he come up with these things separately? Yeah. I don't know. That was Jerry Coleman that wrote that story. Jerry Coleman. Jerry Good Coleman. job. Good job. Um, but it, it, it also amuses me. We have a statue of the Joker in the Batcave, and he's wearing an outfit that I have never seen the Joker wear. It's like a clown costume with polka dots and a ruffled collar. Never, ever. I think he had, uh, it looked to me like, I remember a Golden Age story of Batman where uh, Joker had some uh, henchmen that were dressed, uh, all of them like different weird clowns, polka dots and stuff. <clears throat> and But I don't remember Joker ever wearing this either. But I love that panel of the close-up of the Joker's face with the other three of them behind him talking their plans. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's a great panel. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good panel there. Uh, page three. Yep. All right. Page three. Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane cameo. Yay! Yeah. I haven't really talked too much about this era of World's Finest, kind of you know, as a whole. But during this Weisinger era, especially early in it, like this is, they really tried hard to cram as much of the supporting cast in as possible. Yeah, even if it's one panel of them saying nothing. Right. This panel doesn't really need to be there. It's basically Lois and Jimmy saying, "Oh, gee." He's dying. Right. Uh, it could have been anybody. It could have been like on the page before that or the panel before that when he's actually falling and someone down in Metropolis says, oh, no. You know, so. And even when Lois, Lois shows up for one more panel later in the story, even that's very superfluous. Very, yeah. But, but I do like the fact that they throw them in and just let you know, yes, it's Superman and these are his peeps. So that's fine. We need yeah. to have those. Need to have them there. <laughs> Reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, Superman's closest friends, see an unbelievable disaster. 
Yes. <laughs> and she's not crying or anything. I think her face should look a little more upset. A little more upset. But... A little more upset, but not there. And hey, either Batman has two bat planes or he fixed it really quickly because I'm pretty sure the composite Superman blew the back end off of it at the beginning of the story. Yes, he did. And uh, Alfred works wonders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is a nice on that first panel of, of Jimmy and uh, uh, Lois looking up at Superman getting shot with the bullet, the, uh-huh. the green kryptonite pellets. That's not a bad little dramatic black shading thing to be so small with the bat plane behind it. And, yeah. you know, it's not a bad little panel for as small as it is. Yeah. 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 It, it really does convey what we need it to be. Um, and again, Superman just dropping. Uh, in the next panel. Yeah. Oh, that's that's actually pretty nice and not something you would see normally. Mm-mm. He's just plummeting like a rock. Plummeting like a rock in silhouette. It's very dramatic. It's very cool. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Pages four and five, we have Clark Kent in the Batcave, which can't be something that happened too much. Not very often at all. Not very often at all. But I really liked seeing Clark, Bruce, and Dick working together. Uh, yes. Even more so in this era when the characters, even in their own titles, didn't do much superhero stuff out of costume. Exactly. And, and I know why it didn't happen because of the age of the readers these were targeting, but it, it just shows that they're they're more than their costumes. They, they are heroes to their core. Exactly. And the fact and that I like and why I like to see them out of costume and their secret identities working together it shows the closeness here of superman and batman Mm -hmm. these guys are best friends yes and throughout the silver age they were best friends they had arguments they had fights they had little problems here and there but there's no doubt in anybody's mind who ever read a single superman batman comic of this time period these guys are tight right and that is one of the things that does bother me about modern era is that everybody, for some reason, has to be enemies and has to be fighting each other. I don't want the Justice League fighting each other. I want them fighting the bad guys. And uh, so I do have a slight problem. The only gripe I'm going to make about the New 52 in this particular (laughs) era. Well, no, I I will say in the New 52, and I haven't read everything from the New 52, but from what I have read, um, it, it does seem like the relationship between Superman and Batman is more of a friendly one than it was before the Flashpoint reboot. so Yes, yes. And they're working closer towards that. We're starting to actually see in the new 52. I'm not reading a lot of Batman titles, Me. but I am reading I am reading Justice League and I am reading um, all the Superman stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm actually seeing that too. Things that in the first year we would have seen Batman say, we need to watch him. We need to watch him. <laughs> <laughs> and now we don't see that. We see stuff like Batman saying, Let's get in touch with Superman. Right. So, I, you know, I, I like that. I'm liking the the friendship is evolving. And I want to see also Flash and Green Lantern have a nice little friendship. Okay. See how easy that was to get me off track? <laughs> uh, what else did I say here? Uh, they're back They're back in their ascot, which is Yes. Terrific. I was going to point that out if you didn't. Yeah. I <laughs> love it. But this was a great little speech here when, when – uh, uh, at the bottom of this page when when Batman or Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne are talking about all the problems they have and that composite Superman may have won. And Dick Grayson, we do a little floating head close-up of Dick Grayson basically saying, hey, 
you're Superman and Batman. Let's get it together. Get out there and beat this guy. What are you doing? I thought that was nice. I enjoyed that. And went, Way to go, Dick. And it's also interesting that it, that it is Dick or Robin that encourages them to keep fighting even yeah. without their costumes. Because if you look at Robin as the, the kid's way to put themselves into the story, it becomes the reader encouraging the heroes, which I really like. Yes, exactly. And many times that's how Robin was used. And I think that's probably uh, uh, his creation was for that reason. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You definitely. know, just to get to let us kids in, give us a way in if we couldn't actually relate to the big guy in the bat costume swinging around Gotham. Yeah. So when you were eight, nine, ten years old reading this, how, how did you feel about Robin? Oh, I loved Robin. I always liked Robin. Uh, from the very beginning, I liked Robin. Uh, not so much for the fact that, oh, hey, that's me. That could be me. Mm. Um, because when it came to that, I think the only kid hero that I actually really thought, well, you know, related to were the Superboy comics. There were some times during the Superboy comics, just the artwork, the way it was drawn, I could almost feel the costume on me. You know, it was, it was so real. I could almost feel it being real. But I liked Robin almost as, you know, my best friend. I had a friend who reminded me a little bit of Dick Grayson huh. back, in the, back in the day. And uh, <clears throat> very gym, he was a, you know, very athletic gymnast little guy. Could do tumbles and on the monkey. He was never, had no fear in that little boy's body at all. And uh, I used to call him Dick. He used to think I was making fun of him. And I was, no, 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 Dick Grayson. Well, call me Robin then. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, I thought of Dick as uh, a good friend. And, and like he was meant to be, my way to relate to Batman and Robin. He would ask questions or do things periodically that I thought, finally, somebody sees it the right way. Yeah. So... Uh, one more point about this page, and then I'll move on, or we can move on. But if you look at the second-to-last panel, the left-hand panel in the bottom row, look how different Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne look. Yes. And that is so important yes. in these stories. Yes. Yes, because those are two different people. Oh, that yeah. Is the beautiful thing about a, uh, about Kurt Swan uh, is just that. And if you do this, I could recognize, and I always used to love this, uh, I could recognize all of the Justice League members just with their face shots. I know who the Flash was, Green Lantern. I knew them when Kurt Swan drew them. They all looked different. They, yeah. were, they had their own personality, their own looks, and not just, you know, but you're right here. This is beautiful that Bruce Wayne is not just Clark Kent with a mask on. No. He's not, Batman is not Superman with a mask on. They are different people. Even and, if you took Clark's glasses off, they would yeah. still look different. Different, And I think the beauty of, of Kurt Swan again, here I go gushing again, but if Kurt Swan had drawn a close-up of Superman's face right next to Clark Kent, they're different. Yes. Definitely. They're the same, but they're different. So, I mean, you can look at him and say, well, yeah, it does look like Superman, but it's a little different there. It's a little softer, a little smoother, a little something different. All the while without making you feel like he's drawing two different people. Exactly. No, I still think they're the same guy. Yeah. They look different. Right. The beauty of Kurt Swan. Uh, page five, we have the random, well, not random, but superfluous Lois cameo, complete with the uh, kind of cliche for this time. It's ironic, Clark. I always suspected you of being Superman, but now that Superman's gone, I know you can't be. Well, yeah, I could be, but whatever. Gee, thanks, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. 
Did we miss a page? Did we miss the, uh, what page is that? Which page are you looking for? Uh, part two, we're going to the, did I get ahead? I might have jumped ahead. Uh, let's see, where Superman wraps Batman because he's going to fly at super speed. No, that's on page six, actually. Oh, that's the next page. That's okay, the next good. page, so go ahead okay, with good. that. Okay, well, I think it's funny, the top panel, that first panel, on the top of that page, Superman says, in order to, I can fly at super speed with you, Batman, but I'll cover you in my cape. Yeah. Uh, Batman's little bat ears are poking out through the cape. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so you know it's Batman under there. <laughs> under the cape. Not, so yeah. there's this figure wrapped in the Superman cape, and he's got a little bat ear sticking up. It's just hysterical. How awkward would that be? Here, Batman, I'm going to wrap you up in this cape. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. uh, but but also on this page, Composite Superman builds this castle, and it's never mentioned again once the fight moves outside. So somewhere in the world, this thing still exists. We have yeah. a huge castle stronghold hold full of at least three giant statues of the Composite Superman, one of which is at least 30 feet tall. And it's made of gold. Yes. And the other one's made of silver. <laughs> <laughs> Because remember, he used his element lad powers too. Ah, yes. Amazing, amazing. Just well, no, he, fun. he he dug up the the medals. Oh, that's right. He dug up the medals. Right. That's right. He dug up the medals, which I thought was weird because he used element lad's powers earlier to change uh, some metals in a tower to from some from iron to tin, mm-hmm. and then another strip of that metal to green kryptonite. So when Superman came to save the tower that was falling. He grabbed the kryptonite and it weakened him, and then the composite Superman had to come in and help save the day. Well, maybe he's just being considerate to the Earth he plans to dominate by not ruining the global economy by creating a bunch of precious metals. That would... <laughs> yeah, so he just builds his own little castle out of them. <laughs> yeah, terrific, terrific. And, and at the bottom of that page, uh, panel five, I guess the panel, next to last panel of a throne made out of Diamonds. Yes. There's comfy for you. Doesn't look comfy at all. And in fact, he doesn't use it when they actually get to him. Right. He's in another throne. Yeah. And, and he spe- Superman specifically says there that he, he must have used Elements Lad power, powers to create the diamonds. So Superman knows now that he's got the, the Legion of Superhero yeah. powers. <sighs> did they actually discover that yet? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure know. they ever really did. No, but here he is. You're right. He's actually saying that. Interesting. And then a composite Superman uses Phantom Girl's powers to slip through. Very funny stuff. I love that. Half in and half out. Yeah. Uh, pages seven and eight, not much to say about these pages, really. It's kind of a, a big fight scene. It's a decent fight for, for Silver Age. I mean, Batman gets taken out kind of quickly, and Superman gets a few punches in, but, you know... And I actually really like that Superman and Batman don't defeat this guy. No, they don't. They go down actually, like I said, they go down actually pretty quickly. Yeah. And- uh, Batman comes up to what he thinks is a statue of composite Superman that then shoots a lightning bolt out, and boom, Batman, you're gone. Yeah. Superman, like you say, it's uh, a three-panel fight. Yeah. But uh, but even, even speaking for the story as a whole, you know, they only win, quote-unquote win, because he loses his powers. Yeah, and that's not a common thing in books from the Silver Age when the good guys were almost always triumphant by their own doing. Right, but no, no, he does. The good guys do not win this issue. 
They actually lose the battle and would not have won except he lost his powers. But the next page, what is this page number? Um, Where are we? Are we on eight or nine? Uh, We're on eight, I guess. Eight. But it's the one where uh, he's got Superman wrapped in a kryptonite ring. Right. And he's grabbed Batman by basically the scruff of his neck or his cape, taking them really high into up in the atmosphere, uh, up in the sky, and dropped them. Okay? <laughs> because so, he had to go back to the museum. Yes. Yeah. To try, he's realizing he's starting to get a little weak or something. So he needs to get back to the museum. So Superman, wrapped in a kryptonite ring, and Batman are plummeting towards Earth. This page right here, I would love to see this in a live-action movie. This page <laughs> of... Superman and Batman falling. Oh. Okay. Drap, rap, Superman is wrapped in kryptonite. He's dying. They're falling. And Batman, through his little you know, maneuvers in space or whatever, get close enough to Superman while they're falling to get the ring off, throw it away. Superman regains his powers, grabs Batman, and they swoop away just before hitting the ground. It would be a very dynamic. Uh, wow. That would be a nice dramatic little scene. Uh because it reminds me, they've done two now of these falling, saving someone falling scenes in two big budget movies of the last two years. We saw in Man of Steel, Superman saved Lois out of the falling um, escape pod. Right. And I thought that was a dramatic scene and done fairly well. And uh, in Spider-Man, which I didn't see, but I saw the clip of, about, of Spider-Man saving What's-Her-Face falling. In basically the same way Superman saved Lois from the uh, escape pod. Mm -hmm. But I love those kind of things. It's falling, 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 and they have to do stuff while in the air. And they have the technology to do it now. Yes. They didn't back in 1978. No, no, they could film this scene totally believable now. Yeah. And very dramatic. And we'd actually have a scene of Superman and Batman helping each other. That would that would be tremendous. Would love to see it. We might. Well, we don't know yet. We yeah, might. Yeah, we don't know yet. Yeah. We might. Um, composite Superman losing his powers is a bit convenient, but I did like that it leads to the final page in the issue where at least he has the brains to go back and try to restore his powers, and then eventually try to write the note. I mean, so many times the villains just loses his powers or weapon or whatever, and that's the end of it. Right. Um, he doesn't even try to restore it, but here they wrote the composite Superman so that you know he he tried to get the stuff back, and then when he realized it was too late, tried to write a note. Right, it's just, it's he, just a more um, intelligent, maybe not the best word, but a better villain or story, and, and sets up the potential for this guy to return. Which you know, not to spoil ahead, but he does in in another very good story. He does, um, but I think all too infrequently. I think they he made what maybe three appearances real appearances throughout after this history uh, beginning. Yeah, it wasn't uh, very many. They they rarely used him. They used him, I think, again, might have been close to 20 years. I think it wasn't until the 80s before they used him again. Or was it, uh, did they do another Silver Age with him after um, this? Yeah, there was another Silver Age one, yeah, that sort of wrapped up Meech's story. Oh, 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 right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Oh, true, draw a blank, right, yes. <laughs> Wow. Yes. Um, but I, but I like you at the end of this, I, I, uh, um, this is where I thought it was a little, you know, just a little sad, but 
but I liked the way it ended. But even though I thought it was a little quick, a little convenient, that, oh, gee, he's losing his powers. They were only temporary. I like that, though. I like the fact that they were temporary. I like the fact that as he's losing his powers, he's also losing his Brainiac 5 super mental abilities. Mm -hmm. But he has the foresight, the ability to at least write himself this little note. Even though the note is not full detailed, all it says is stand in front of the statues when the lightning hits. Right. You know, that doesn't give him a whole lot to go on, but it gives him enough to keep trying. And I would have made this a regular guy. I think I would have turned this guy not into a Lex Luthor Joker type character, you know, reoccurring that often. But I'd have probably brought this guy back every three, four, three to five years. You know, I'd have brought this guy back as a mm -hmm. recurring villain because he is too powerful. This guy, and we saw literally how easily he tricked them. Yeah. He mentally tricked him at every turn. They think they've got a plan. He just turns invisible, shows up there, listens to the whole plan. He beats them at every turn using the Legion powers and Brainiac 5's mental abilities. Uh, and how does he lose? He loses because his powers just wear off. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I loved this story. I think this was just, yeah, it's just one of those great, great stories that you think, you know, not reading it, if you just hear about it, you would have thought, well, there was this guy that had, you know, superpowers of some kind that uh, Superman and Batman had to deal with. You may not have known they were legion of superhero powers. Right. You would not have known that because he's dressed like half Superman, half Batman. And then people think, well, why didn't Superman just zap the half Batman part? <laughs> you know, mm. kinds of weird questions that go on. But for me, what will stand out are the character himself, Ed Hamilton's great simple creation of him. And it was so quick and so simple. First two pages, you know who he is, you know what his powers are, and you know what he's going to try to do. It's just great. And the fact that we're in on it and Superman and Batman are not. Right. Even though they they kind of are because they know things they shouldn't know. But, but yeah, definitely, they, they don't know as much as the reader. And they still, to this, they don't know that mm -hmm. Joe Beach is the composite Superman. No. They don't know where he came from, where he got his powers, and where he went. So as all they know, there could be a knock on the door at any time with a guy with a green face standing there, half suit, half Batman, saying, hey, let's play. <laughs> so maybe, well, let's write a letter to Grant Morrison. Grant, we need you, buddy. <laughs> let, let Grant Morrison do a modern age composite Superman. Oh. They, now they did bring, they did re redo the composite Superman. Uh, I want to say around two thousand eight. It was one of the Superman Batman annuals. I think Len Wein wrote it, uh, but it, it wasn't as fun as this. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I don't remember that. I'll have to look that one up because uh, uh, I just remember this story and um, vague memories of one sometime early eighties. And, of course, the one you reminded me of, the mm -hmm. kind of the second part to this, even though yeah. it's, not, it's not really, quote, second part. It's, it's kind a of... It's a sequel. It's a sequel. It's a sequel. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, uh, man, what a, what a great story. I just... And Kurt Swan threw out this story. <laughs> I mean, it, there was really one page where we both kind of thought, did somebody else ink this? This is a little weird. Yeah. But almost every page 
Siege, there's at least one panel you go, wow. Yeah. Very nice, Kurt Swan. Even where people say Kurt Swan doesn't do good battle scenes. I've heard that before, where Kurt Swan doesn't do good fight scenes yeah. or something. Well, when, I don't know. When left more to his own devices, he, he uh, until he got, you know, a little older in the late 70s and 80s, um, he, he could turn out a good action battle scene if, if yes. he was able to. Yes. Um, Charlie Niemeyer did a, a episode a couple of weeks ago where there was a really good uh, Bronze Age battle between Lex Luthor and Superman. Mm. Uh, in fact, I wrote Charlie a letter because Superman took his boots off as part of the way to fool Lex Luthor, uh, he made his boots hang over the edge of the cliff as if Superman was hanging over the edge of the cliff by oh, his right, toes. right, mm-hmm. right. And I asked Charlie, did you notice that Superman didn't have any socks on under his boots? When they showed Superman coming back from behind Lex, Superman is barefoot. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so he doesn't wear socks under his boots, That's which really tells me... Well, that means that, you know, I've always thought his, his the way he's been drawn since almost the beginning of time until modern era, his boots look more like sock boots than actual boots. Right. So it makes sense that he didn't need socks under his boots. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. But it was a good fight sequence. But I liked this one. I thought this one was a fun, it wasn't real dramatic, but it was a nice little scene. But I think what it showed was that composite Superman was just so well prepared to take on these two guys, they didn't really have a chance. They weren't prepared. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know where he was going to strike next. And he knew everything about them and was listening to every move they were going to make. I think it was a great twist. And to just leave him out there hanging to say, well, the statues are still there. The window is still next to the statues. He apparently is still the custodian, the janitor, the sweeper, the keeper, the caretaker of the museum. It could all happen again. Now, one thing I I didn't mention earlier, um, this was the second World's Finest issue under the editorial ship of Mort Weisinger. So I wonder if when he took over the book and put, you know, Edmund Hamilton and Kurt Swan on as a regular team, I wonder if there wasn't some sort of directive to maybe try and set up a, a rogues, not, maybe not necessarily a rogues gallery for the book, but to try and, and uh, create a threat that could be a recurring threat and yet challenge both of them at the same time. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. That would not surprise me at all. And that's, I think, one of the things that surprises me if we go on that concept that, say, Mort says, hey, let's come up with a villain that can really give these guys a a tough ride. Uh, Why they didn't go back to him and use him? Did they get so many letters or something that just said, oh, he's stupid or I hate him or he's, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to keep an eye out for issues that I cover after this to see if anybody. Yeah, if you happen to, if a. If, you know, 143, 144, 145, I have to look at the letter columns and yeah. see if people loved him or hated him. It's hard to keep an eye on letter columns and stuff because of, of the random nature of the show. You know, next episode I might be covering a, an, yeah. a, a very, very early Silver Age issue and then a Bronze Age issue. So I'm not doing them chronologically, but uh, maybe I'll just look through some issues and see if I can. Uh, how does that make you feel, by the way, a little off topic here, since you changed, because obviously I knew Michael Bradley from the Golden Age Superman, mm. doing them chronologically, where I was loving pulling out my Superman Chronicles and following <laughs> along yeah. with you. And uh, But how do you like it? You, I assume you like doing the random nature a little I, better than the chronological order. I do. I mean, I, I like both, you know, 
but the uh, the random stuff does keep the show more interesting because I, I usually don't know what I'm what I'm going to be covering from uh, episode to episode. So yeah, and and it kind of keeps you you know it gives you a little more you can you know flexibility. Right. I think is a nice thing because you could say random, and I'm kind of doing that myself on on my own uh, little little show. And why I've changed a little bit from what Dave was doing is that. Once you limit yourself to a character, you've now branched out. You're doing both of them. So you've got World's Finest. You've got a couple of hundred good issues you can work with. Right. So, you know, you've got some good material to work with. But Plus, I've got, you know, all the post-crisis stuff. If I want to cover that, there's some animated stuff I can do, radio. You know, there's all sorts of stuff to Absolutely. Yeah. Picking Superman and Batman together, I, it was just a stroke of genius. And your timing just brilliant just great i loved it when i heard that you were you know not going to do golden age anymore i went oh no damn damn and then you announced you're doing superman and batman mm-hmm. I went, oh that's smart little sucker wasn't that smart <laughs> good move that was really good so uh, uh i just love what you're doing with this stuff this is fun because world's finest again I have to go back to my little childhood of of uh, late fifties, early to mid sixties. Yeah, and um, when I hear that you're doing a, one of those, man, do I love that! Get the tablet ready, get the comic on it, get it all well, you, queued you up. Posted on Facebook the other day, uh, a few episodes ago. I don't remember which episode it was, but that you had bought that particular issue off the stands. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, you can yeah. follow along and maybe relive a happy memory from. Younger days and oh, absolutely! And I'm going to put a little plug in here for uh, Billy Hogan, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Superman fan podcast. A little plug because this guy talk about we were just talking about doing the difference between a chronological podcast and a random whatever pops up or whatever you want to talk about. Billy Hogan has been covering the Silver Age of Superman family comics. For several years now, chronologically, every week. Yep. He doesn't get near near enough uh, credit for it either. Oh, my God. That, you know, doing a solo weekly podcast is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. The preparation, the editing, the talking, the, the recording of it a lot of times is the easiest part of it. Um. But to really put into perspective what Billy Hogan has done, and his is one of the first Superman podcasts I found, and I was doing, before I had the tablet, I literally was going to my long box and pulling out a 1959 Superman comic book, carefully taking it out of his little bag and reading along with Billy on his show. So I, I love it. And that's kind of what I thought... I could not do that. I don't. I, there's no way that I could do a chronological weekly show. Yeah. Um, it, it's just boggling. Yeah. So way to go, Billy. <laughs> Thanks. Well, if you don't have anything else on on the composite Superman, I think we're going to take a little break, and then we'll come back to talk about uh, what else was on the issue and what else was on the stands. Outstanding. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead, 
Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. And this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon... Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. If you're interested in reading The Composite Superman, then you are in luck, as this story has received a number of reprints. First was in World's Finest Comics number 223 from 1974. And it was also reprinted in Digest Size in DC, DC Special number 23 from 1981. And then it's received a pair of modern reprints. First in Superman, Batman, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, trade paperback. Then in Black and White in Showcase Presents World's Finest Volume 2. Which, as I said earlier, is where I read it for the show. Unfortunately, I don't have a copy of the original issue on this one, so we can't talk about ads or anything. However, there is another feature, which is Flame Dragon from Krypton by Jerry Siegel, Wayne Boring, and Stan Kay. And that was originally published in Superman number 142. Well, quick little insert. Can I jump in just for a second on 142? Uh, that That has a cover date, by the way, of January 142. My birthday is uh, uh, in January, so I use the January as uh, if I can't afford, you know, to get a complete run. Uh-huh. 
I'll try to say, well, can I get the January issue from that year? And uh, that's kind of how I started my deep collecting of comics older than me and beforehand was, well, can I get the January issue? Wow. And my second thing of covering Superman comic covers that I like are covers that have Superman and a dragon on the cover. Oh, that's a twofer for you then. So this one, and I thought it was terrific when I'm looking through this, and I see that the backup story of the world's finest 142 that we covered today has Superman 142 with a dragon. Yeah. Ah, great. And it's January. Couldn't get any better. It's a two-killer. I love it. Yep. Plus, Batman appears briefly. And Batman does appear briefly, yes. (laughs) That's great. Which is probably why they picked that. I noticed that at this time. Could be, yeah. In World's Finest, the backup issue, I think next issue they're going to have an Aquaman, and then um, they use the backup last eight pages or so uh, for other characters. So I'm assuming since they picked a Superman story for that backup of a World's Finest, they picked it, and because it also had at least one panel with Batman in it. Right. So uh, it more or less qualified. But now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands. And there were quite a few books out this month. Yeah, good month. Yeah. So what <laughs> what uh, what jumps out at you here on the on this virtual spinner rack? Oh man, so many, so many, and ones that I have, I still have, <laughs> and that I got off the spinner rack at the time. The very first one there, actually, or Adam number thirteen. Uh, Is that a Gil Kane cover? Yes, it's a Gil Kane cover, and um, uh, that's when I started to pay attention, actually. That'll give you another hit into me. This is when I started to pay attention more to artists um, uh, on – because Adam and uh, Green Lantern and some other comics at the time were starting to see Gil Kane and Sid Green. Mm. I almost think of those two names – almost like uh, Schuster and Siegel, Siegel and Schuster. Well, if I hear Gil Kane, I almost put Sid Green with him. Uh, those were just some of the most beautiful covers. And, and it was about this time when his artwork started to show up at DC. Uh, Gil Kane, Neil Adams a little later, Jim Aparo, some of these guys. Even as a kid, I'm starting to think, something's happening over at DC. Something... There's a, there's an art change come something's happening there, and the Adam is one of my favorite. Uh, I don't want to call him a grade B or a second tier hero, but you know he's not Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Right. Um, but uh, he is one of my favorite. I have a complete run of Adam comic books. Oh, cool. Uh, I just he's just one of my favorite characters. And as a side note, stretching it a little longer, the new Flash show that's coming out this fall will have Brandon Ralph, former Superman, Superman Returns, playing Ray Palmer as the Atom. Yep. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things are happening. It's getting cool. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's just amazing. We're going to see the Atom and Firestorm and some kind of... I mean, it's not going to be the comic book incarnation of Firestorm, obviously, but, you know... We're going to see these characters in live action. I know, on television. Yeah, (laughs) which nobody even thought would be possible five years ago. If you had told me that in one season coming up, we're going to see Green Arrow, Black Canary, Flash, uh, uh, The Atom, Firestorm, 
I mean, come on. That's just, on television on a weekly basis. Not animation. Yeah. Not, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And we're getting that this fall. It's going to be cool. Uh, for DC and Marvel, there's good stuff happening in TV for superhero stuff all over the place. Yeah. Uh, all right. But back to this. Also on the top page, the quickly the other ones. Uh, while I liked Challengers of the Unknown, I didn't really collect a bunch of them. Uh, I liked some of the mystery stuff. But I'm a... I guess what they call a capes and tights guy. I like the superhero stuff. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I dabble in like the, the House of Mystery stuff a little bit, but I, I always come back to the superheroes. Yeah, I always come back to superheroes. I've I've got challengers, like I say. I've got some challengers. I've got mysteries in space. I liked mysteries in space more than I liked um, unknown mysteries or mysteries of the unknown because I liked sci-fi. So yeah. I think on my you know, uh, my ladder stair steps, it would be superheroes at the top and then sci-fi and space fantasy stuff. Second, then monsters and mystery and that kind of stuff under all that. But, you know, you put four comics in front of me. If one of them's got a superhero on the cover, that's the one I'm going to, um, uh, I see Superboy on that first page, first, first line. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Superboy one thirteen. Yeah, got it. Terrific. Again, you know, I, I think I mentioned this back when we were actually on doing the, uh, the synopsis part. This is my wheelhouse. 1964. I'm 12 years old in 1964. I'm buying everything you see here that's got a superhero on the cover. <laughs> it's 12 cents. <laughs> I've like got that said, Like you said before we started recording, 12 cents per, you can get a lot of comics for $2. You bet. And and uh, when you look down this list of, ah, what are those? It's probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, four times. There's 32 comics here. And I've got at least half of them. Wow. Half of them. I've got the Justice Leagues, the Mystery in Space down at the bottom, the Adventure Comics, the Superboy, um, the, of course, the Jimmy Olsen. Colossal boy, <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got the powers of the super uh, the legion of superheroes, uh, so he's being colossal boy. Uh, the Green Lantern, uh, featuring the first appearance. Is that the first appearance of Black Hand? I think it is. It might be. Yes, I think it is. Boy, this was a good week for comics, wasn't it? <laughs> or a month? This was all month. This was the yeah. whole month of April. Just really, really good. The, that the, Justice League. That was only Justice League number twenty-eight. Yeah, there had only been twenty-eight issues of them working as a team mm -hmm. in nineteen sixty-four. Man, this is just beautiful. Uh, oh, that eighty. That, oh, I'm sorry. I mentioned Superboy, and I just noticed there's an eighty-page giant Superboy available this month too. I was just getting ready to bring that up. Yep, that's the very first and and really the only Superboy annual from the Silver Age. Yes, and and in fact, uh, the comic we just read, uh, you got you read yours from the. Uh, were you reading it from the black and white showcase volume? Yeah. Okay, I was uh, looking at mine from a scan of my own comic. I. Before, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of, this is amazing. Before I knew that there was a thing called a CBR, uh -huh. I would scan my own comics and I didn't compile them into a zip or anything. I just put them in their own folder. 
you know, so I would scan a folder, it would be called Superboy number whatever, and there would be the 35 pages, each scanned page. I okay. just, so I would scan, I scanned almost all of my uh, comics. Well, that's not true. I scanned about 30% of my own collection until, and then I realized, whoa, somebody's already done this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now that Comixology is out, uh, I wait for their 99 cent sales and I'll rebuy some of these uh, so that I can basically have them anywhere, you know, through the Comixology app. They're starting to put some of their older Silver Age stuff online now too. So that's kind of fun. But uh, what I was getting to is that while we were talking about the the issue, uh, when we left the story between the, the, the composite Superman story and the uh, uh, follow-up story in the back of the Superman story with the dragon, the reprint in the back of World's Finest 142, the ad in the middle was a half-page house ad. It was a full-page house ad. Half of it was taken up with this Superboy annual. Cool. They were advertising this Superboy annual, uh, which I also have, by the way. <laughs> I have all the annual, all the 80-page giants, except... The non there was uh, there's a war, uh, Sergeant Rock, I think War Stories annual of the eighty page that I don't have the original of, but the rest of them I do have in various. I couldn't help it. I just I couldn't help it. I bought them when they were new, carried them around in my back pocket until they just fell apart. I'd buy them again. I mean, they were a quarter. Yeah, eighty pages, five, six, seven, eight stories for a quarter. It, incredible. So uh, I have one and a half long boxes full of nothing but 80-page giants. Wow. And uh, uh, so many classic stories in those. Oh, so many, so many. And in fact, that's where I go to if my wife says, you know, if she hears me talking about something that's fun in the Superman world, that's usually what I'll do if I don't have a trade of it. Recently, I bought a trade of some of the most famous Superman, Batman stories. Which had this in it. So she read that. She read this story. I gave her that trade to read the composite Superman. Uh -huh. But uh, that's what I usually do is pull out one of these 80-page giants or one of the um, annuals and say, well, here, it's reprinted in this. Instead of bringing out the original Superman 142 for a dragon story, I think I'll give her a reprint of it to read before she falls asleep. But uh, what else do you see on here? What do you see on this page? Uh, well, Brave and the Bold number 54 is kind of a milestone issue. Is it the first time they teamed up Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Robin? Oh, very cool. The actual official first appearance of the Teen Titans wouldn't come until a little later, but this was definitely a, a precursor to that. Those were great covers on those Teen Titans, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. man. And Bob Haney writing. So. <laughs> of course. Of course. Somebody's doing those now. I think somebody is a podcast is doing the Bob Haney Teen Titan run. Oh, really? Yeah. I know Thomas DJ looked at a lot of them. Uh, it might be somebody ago, who's but... using it's not their regular show. It's part of their ongoing. It might be Emily from um, um, Relatively Geeky Net. Really? She might be doing. I saw uh, her father, Alan, post uh, uh, Alan Middleton, Professor Allenton, post something on Facebook that she was deep in Bob Haney and Teen Titans world. 
So I'm assuming she's doing it for a show. Well, I know she recently looked at an issue, uh, a World's Finest issue, featuring the Super Sons as a follow-up to her appearance on this on this show. <laughs> right, which was but, a show, right? Yeah. Super Sons. <laughs> uh, I have that trade. I bought that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's just hysterical. Uh, but uh, that's really, I guess, all I see. Um, what about Hawkman? Were you into Hawkman at all? I've never been into Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. I did back then. I, I stopped sometime late 70s. I think when when they dropped him and then brought him back as the new angry guy. Ah. Uh, that's kind of when I left. I liked him when he was a cop, basically. He and Green Lantern were basically stellar cops. Yeah. And I kind of like that. Uh, what else do I see? Of course, the bottom thing, there's an adventure comics that's great. There's Batman. There's Justice League and uh, action comics. And, of course, the issue we covered, World's Finest, last one on the page. There you go. It's always one of the last issues that comes out every month, I've noticed. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good action comics, too. There's a good yes. action comics. That's a good story, too. Supergirl giving away Superman's identity. Terrific stuff. Just great stuff. Boy, I could just do this. Don't don't tempt me to click on another page. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's time to, to wrap it up. Bob, I want to thank you very much for coming on. This has been a whole lot of fun. Uh, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you and your show? Thank you, Michael. This has been a blast. I've enjoyed it. We you know, got to talk about my favorite two characters and one of my favorite issues of all time. How can you beat composite Superman? You can't. I mean, you, you just can't. You well, they couldn't. Right. <laughs> See what I did there? Bring that. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Michael. This has just been an absolute blast. I've just loved it. And people, you can find me. It's really easy now. Supermanforever.com. It's Superman Forever Radio. And uh, I started with episode uh, 79. I've done five. And episode 84 will be out I'm not going to tell you when it's going to be out. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So it'll be out when it comes out. It'll be out when it comes out and it'll be about Superman. There you go. That's all you so, need to know. Supermanforever.com. So thank you, Michael. This has just been just a real treat. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it thank and we'll you. get you over to get you over to our house. Dave actually left the place in pretty good shape. Well, good. Yeah. Didn't leave like, you know, Dirty laundry in the back room or anything? No, no, okay. just one empty Mountain Dew bottle is all that he left here. <laughs> but definitely, definitely check out Superman Forever Radio, folks. Bob, like I said, you're doing a great job, and I'm Thanks. super glad to hear your – sorry for the pun – really glad to hear your voice as part of the many Superman podcasts that, that exist out there. Well, thanks. It was a little intimidating when you think about all the good ones out there from the Silver Age and Billy to from Crisis to Crisis. I mean, there's so many good Superman podcasts out there, and they've all been incredible to this new guy just kind of jumping in. Uh, I've basically heard from all of them now, and they're just this is it's a really good community of people. It is. So, yeah. uh, next time, I will be on my own again. I don't know what I'll be looking at quite yet, but it'll have Superman and it'll have Batman, which means it'll be awesome. Yes, probably. Probably. But until then, Bob, thanks again. To the rest of you, thanks, as always, for listening. And I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.
Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Siegel Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. out this episode was Come Together by the Beatles from their 1969 album Abbey Road. I'd call it a classic, but I'm pretty sure that that would be a grievous understatement. Still, if you like the song, I'd like to suggest you head on over to 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner on their site. Buy the song, or the album, or, well, pretty much anything else Amazon has to offer, and 2 True Freaks will get a little commission off every purchase. Not only will you get classic music for your library, but it won't cost you anything extra, and it helps support one of the greatest podcasting families out there. I got lucky in that area because a lot of my friends, their parents wouldn't let them read them either. They they believed the Wortham stuff. I mean, you know, I was born in the 50s. So, uh, you know, I'm starting to read comics right in the heart of the Comics Code Authority and everybody preaching that comics are bad and school teachers telling you how bad they are. 
And all I knew is when I got to first grade and they pulled out this, the, the reading primers, those C, Dick, Run, and Jane, and I'm thinking, are you kidding? Well, what's Dick's secret identity? What's his superpower? What's going on here? And I'm just thinking, that's it? He can run? Uh, is he as fast as the Flash? I mean, you know, give me something. I knew how to spell invulnerable and what it meant for crying out yeah. loud. So <clears throat> you could not tell me that comics were bad for you. And I was lucky that I had a mother that, uh, well, as you know, in my opening thing, that she actually read my first comics to me. Mm, that's really cool. So uh, I got very lucky, got very lucky. 